Chapter 31 of Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Cummings. Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms by Haywood Brune. Chapter 31 With a Stein on the Table. Half a league would be better than one. Perhaps a quarter section would be still better. The thing that sank Mr. Wilson's project, so far as America was concerned, was the machinery. It was too heavy. Not so much was needed. The only essential thing was a large round table and a pleasant room held under at least one year's lease. Of course, it should have been the right sort of table. If they had put knives and forks and, better yet, glasses upon the one in Paris instead of ink and paper, we might already have a better world. Beer and light wines can settle subjects which defy all the subtleties possible to ink. What the world needs, then, is not so much a league as an international beer night to be held at regular intervals by representatives of the nations. Good beer and enough of it would have settled the whole problem of the covenants which were going to be opened and did not turn out that way. The little meetings would have a persuasive privacy and yet would not be secret to any destructive extent. An alert reporter hanging about the front door could not fail to hear the strains of He's a jolly good fellow! drifting down the stairs from the conference room, and if he were a journalist of any ability, he would have had no difficulty in surmising that the crowd was entertaining the delegate from Germany and discussing indemnities. Some persons were not quite fair in criticizing the shortcomings of President Wilson at Paris. It was easy to seize upon open covenants and to demolish his sincerity by pointing out the secrecy with which negotiations were carried on. It is sentimentally satisfying to every liberal and radical in the world to declare that all the walls should have come down, and to continue this criticism by suggesting that the arms conference ought to have been taken out of the Pan-American building and transferred to Tex Rickards Arena on Boyle's 30 Acres, or the Yale Bowl. The notion is fascinating because it permits the possibility of cheering sections and enables one to picture Henry Cabot Lodge leaping to his feet every now and again and asking all the men with the RR banners reactionary Republicans, to join him in nine long raws for the freedom of the seas. The delegates, of course, would be numbered so that the spectators could tell who was doing the kicking. It is appealing, and we wish it could be done that way, but it is not sound. We all know how bitter and destructive are legal battles which have their first hearing in the newspapers. We also remember how tenacious have been many of the struggles between capital and labor just so long as the leaders of either side were talking to each other across eight-column headlines instead of a table. 
One may counter by calling to mind various evil things which have come to the world from the tops of tables, but we must insist again upon stressing the point that these were not tables which supported food and drink. In Paris, various points were lost to democracy because the supporters of the right were outstayed by the champions of evil. In our little club room, it would be hard to put such pressure upon anybody. He would need to do no more than shout for the waiter to fill up his mug again and entrench himself for the evening. The most attractive thing about our suggestion is that, though it sounds like frivolous foolery, it actually is nothing of the sort. We are willing to accept modifications, but the scheme would work. We have seen the pacifying effects of food and drink upon warring factions too many times not to respect them. Once, at a dinner, we heard Max Eastman talk across a table to Judge Gary and both enjoyed it. We do not mean to suggest that the two men arose with all their previous ideas of the conduct of the world changed. Judge Gary did not offer, in spite of the eloquence of Eastman, to curtail the working day in the mills of the United States Steel Company. Nor did the editor of the Liberator promise that thereafter he would be more kindly disposed in writing about universal military training. But both men were disposed to listen. Gary did not rush to the telephone to summon a federal attorney, and there was no disposition on the part of Eastman to call the proletariat up into immediate arms. The most friendly thing which anybody ever said about Mr. Wilson's League of Nations came from those opponents of the scheme who called it nothing but a debating society. Talk is lint for the wounds of the world. The guns cannot begin until the statesmen have had their say. Any device which provides a pleasant place and an audience for the orators in power is distinctly a move to end war. The trouble with ultimatums is not only that they are ugly, but that they are short. If certain gentlemen from Serbia could have been brought face to face with other gentlemen from Austria and empowered to thrash it out, the dispute between the two nations would by no means be settled by now, but it would still be in a talking stage. Arguments must be fostered and preserved. It may be a little tiresome to hear premiers say, is that so, to one another, but the satisfaction derived from such exchanges is enough to keep the conflicting parties from seeking a blood restoration of national egos. Food and drink are not only the greatest instigators, but the best preservers of free speech in the world. Undoubtedly, everybody in his time has heard some toastmaster or other insult a prominent citizen a few feet away in a manner which would be unsafe on the public highway, and nothing has happened. It has been passed off as something wholly suitable to the occasion. As we listen to Max Eastman talk across the table to Judge Gary, we wondered whether anybody would have even thought for a moment of sending Debs to jail had he only had the good fortune to talk from behind a barricade of knives and forks. These are the ultimate and most effective weapons of all peaceful men. 
With one of each in front of him, even a revolutionist may bear his heart and still be safe from the bayonets of the military. Of course, the value of the weapons is not unknown to the conservatives as well. Many a rampant reformer has gone to Washington and has seen his ideals drown one by one before his eyes in the soup. For years, England managed to muddle along with Ireland by inviting nationalists out to dinner. For the spread and development of civilization, the price of pottage has gone up. Today we can afford to laugh at poor, ignorant, and deluded Jacob, who let his pottage go for a mess of a birthright. In the light of these admissions, it would be impossible to contend that all the ills of the world could be solved by the device of international beer nights. Even well-fed men are not perfect. Alcohol is benign, but it does not canonize. Schemes would go on even over demitasses. There would be stratagems and surprises, and yet, to our mind, the stratagems, even of a statesman, can never be so potent for harm in the world as the stratagem of a general. Diplomacy is an evil game, chiefly because it has been so exclusive. Our little club would be large enough to admit all the delegates of the world. The only house rule would be no checks cashed. We have no idea that the heart of man is not more important than his stomach. The world will not be made over more closely to the heart's desire until we are of a better breed. But while we are waiting, friendly talks about a table may count for something. We might manage to swap a groaning world for a groaning board. There is sanction for hope in the words of the song. We know, don't we? that it's always fair weather when good fellows get together with a stein on the table. All America needs, then, to make the world safer for democracy is the stein and the good fellows. End of chapter 31